Hi everyone, I'm Amanda Dow from the British Blacklist and I'm here today with serial entrepreneur, business mogul, one of the most powerful black British uh, business people in the country, CEO of Impact X Capital, star of the Channel 4 series, The Moneymaker, Eric Collins. So Eric, before we begin the interview, I'll let you introduce yourself just in case I've missed something off the list. So one of the things that I have gotten to, and thank you for having me, Amanda, it's great to be talking to a, a group of black um, individuals who are interested in business. So that's that's in itself a privilege and uh, that there are enough people who have an interest is something which I think is absolutely uh, critical and important. So thank you for doing this. From my perspective, there is so much, in fact, I feel overexposed that there's too much information out there about me and too many. Today already, I've done two radio broadcasts. So you say to yourself, there's just a lot that exists out there. I think the most important piece that's left out of any interview is that my real belief that it is entrepreneurship that is a additional lever in the fight for empowerment, black sustained empowerment, and to dismantle white supremacy. So let me just be clear. Yeah. That's the thing that we're, I think about all of the time, that capital that is invested in organizations is a key tool in dismantling white supremacy. I think that can kind of lead us into why you started and founded Impact X Capital. The origin story is actually fascinating. It's because of a guy named Lenny Henry. I should say that as a beginning piece, and most people don't expect that. They say, sort of, isn't that, is that the comedian and actor and sort of Sir Lenny Henry? Yeah, that's the one. Lenny Henry yeah. uh, had read a thing about the power list and had found on the power list the guy who was the top person that year. His name is Tom Alube, who runs Crossword Security, which is a cybersecurity company. He said, I should be talking to this guy because all the ideas that we have in a group called the Black Hand Gang is everything we talk about as a solution of what to do about Black Britain requires capital. These guys know about capital. Tom then enlisted a whole group of people, some of the who's who in the business community, put them together with the sports and with the entertainment community. There was a summit that was held at his house about what should we do, this working session it wasn't party, it was a working session. People sitting at tables, people coming up with ideas, people then presenting their ideas to the group. And part of that was to create a sustainable fund, something that would not be requiring people to go hand, you know, hat in hand, time after time to the same gatekeepers and organizations and government who says no so frequently, but or says, yeah, here's a little bit, but never enough to really make a substantial difference. What we should do is put our money where our mouth is and then create something which is sustainable. In order for it to be sustainable, it has to be something that returns capital and then attracts other capital because of the return dynamics that are associated with it. I was brought in because that's my life. My life has been going into companies, growing them from one size to another, selling them on, and then enriching all the stakeholders, whether they be investors or whether they be employees or whether they be founders, all the stakeholders get enriched by those transactions. I did it at Touch Surgery, which we sold for $400 million to Medtronic. We did it with, here in the UK also with SwiftKey, which we sold for $250 million to Microsoft. So the opportunity to release lots of capital to enrich stakeholders, and by enriching stakeholders, then create a reputation around doing that and therefore attract more capital is exactly why ImpactX started so that we could therefore invest that capital in things that matter to us, a for us, by us approach. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I think because it's paving the way to create generational wealth. And I think what's really amazing is the amount of young people kind of involved in getting into entrepreneurship. 
one of the things that really stood out to me in The Moneymaker, which we'll go on to talk about later on, but mm -hmm. this phrase that you use, profit for purpose, um, and, and that was in the very first episode. So not just investing money to make money, but to also change people's lives. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you envision the aspect of impact X Capital outside of making profit? I should be clear, because I think very frequently what people think when we talk about underrepresented and underrepresented means if you look at the demographics across the world and let's focus specifically on Europe, in every country in Europe, there are people of color and at least 50% of the people are women. And if you look at sort of, and if you look at how people get investment and who is it being invested in, if you're looking specifically at the UK as a microcosm of Europe and the UK, you find that less than 3% of venture capital, which is the kind of capital that I am involved with, is invested in women. Less than 0.2% um, is invested in black founders and less than 0.02% is invested in black female founders. Look at Extend Ventures in the report that they published earlier and late last year, which talks about this trend, which has happened over a period of the last decade. That is a trend which actually exists. So for us, the idea that we need to invest is an idea that is based on, you can't be a philanthropy and get the kind of results that we're looking for. We've seen a lot of philanthropies. We've seen a lot of people say, I want to address the question of black empowerment, and here's some money to do that, especially when Black Lives Matter happened. Well, Black Lives Matter has been happening. Black Lives Matter has been happening forever. The George Floyd murder that we all then witnessed, that created a dynamic for corporations that seemed to be a trigger point that people can no longer ignore. What has been done with a lot of the capital that's been that's been talked about bringing into the question of black empowerment has been placed into communities as a philanthropic activity. There is no expectation of return on their, that capital. Because there's no expectation of financial return on that capital, there might be societal return, but not financial, there is no real trigger and there is no real magnetism to actually then invest continued money as a top priority. Corporations invest money because they're going to make money. Investment firms invest money because they're going to invest money. Impact X invests money because it is going to make money, return money, and therefore get more money to invest. What we believe is a byproduct of that is that we create opportunities called corporations and companies. Those companies then create jobs. Those jobs are, are future resistant jobs that actually help people to grow not only in their career, but then maybe to go to another organization. Over time, what they will then do is either start their own companies or stay at companies. But at some point, those companies, some of those companies will exit. That releases a lot of capital. The scale that I talked about in the two companies that I've worked in here in the UK will release a large scale of capital, some of which will be used to pay off student debt, some of which will be used to buy a house, some of which will be used for philanthropic reasons and charitable purposes where there is no economic return. Some of it will be used as risk capital to seed the next generation. That's what we're looking for in terms of capital. But our byproduct that we're looking for, first of all, is return on investment, and secondarily is job creation because we believe it is job creation that deals with the inequities that are associated with education, the inequities that are associated with wealth generation and intergenerational wealth transfer, 
health disparities, those things can be addressed as a byproduct when we have dealt with the capital that can be focused by the Black community, the female community, the LGBTQI community, the um, handicapped community, when those communities can focus on the issues which are most important to them because they have the resources to do it, that is when we will see change happening. And quite frankly, we also use this method because we believe that this can be done in a single generation. We don't want to wait. I'm not going to wait another 10 years for this. You know, organizations like Amazon are behemoths now and have been behemoths for a decade or more, but they weren't even around 30 years ago. Those are organizations within a lifetime can be such of such scale and such consequence that they can make a difference. And if that started by a black woman from Birmingham, I believe that that organization, I bet you that organization will look very different, have different sorts of approaches to doing business and will get different results for black communities. That's what we're trying to do at Impact X. So that's us as a double bottom line. But just let's, I, I don't want people to get that mistaken that we are a charitable organization. When Rick Lewis invests in you, when Vivian Hunt invests with you, when Lenny Henry and Adrian Lester invest with you, when Ursula Burns invests with you, they want money back and they want it at venture scale. So I have to return to them 10 times what they put in in a period of years, not decades, in years they want that money back and that's what I've committed to do. My next question was going to be about how Impact X Capital has changed since the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer and over the year with the pandemic and and I guess kind of leading into the moneymaker, how the financial struggles that people have been going through for the past year and also the heightened awareness of the importance of uplifting and empowering Black people. Is, has there been a shift with Impact, impact AIDS Capital? So Black Lives Matter came, at least the, the heightened sort of scrutiny of it began about a year ago. ImpactX has been in business for almost three years. So this is not a new issue that we discovered. This is an issue that has been around. If you look at companies like ours, venture capital companies that are run by people of color, those have been around in the United States for 50 years. The first one was um, started that I've been able to find in 1971. There have been people who've been saying, we've got to deal with this issue in a different way. The thing which has changed since Black Lives Matter is there has been a bit more support, which has come from other sectors. Suddenly, we have organizations that are trust and foundations who are saying that, you know, they're asking the question, well, we have been, we have hundreds of billions of pounds, euros, dollars, yen that we have actually entrusted to fund managers, all of which have been white, almost 100% of which have been men. And has that actually helped or has that hurt in terms of black empowerment and inequity and white supremacy? And so people are beginning to notice because of Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's death that indeed there has been something that they are doing either consciously or unconsciously as asset allocators that is hurting black people on a daily basis and keeping them back. So that kind of acknowledgement is interesting. And so we've seen the benefit of that. So people, there are organizations that are foundations, colleges and universities who come to talk to us. Corporations the same way. They've suddenly said, we have a lot of cash, but we don't keep any of it in black banks or institutions. We also don't put any money behind black fund managers. What is that doing in terms of undermining what is going, what needs to happen in the world, the kind of world we'd like to see? Content makers, Netflix and Amazon have been saying some of the same types of things. We don't have a lot of commissioners. 
even here in the UK, we found in terms of, say, the BBC, June Sarpong is now running the diversity initiative within the BBC. And one of the outgrowths of that has been that hundred million pounds that's going to be spent over three years to deal with this issue of both talent in front and behind the camera. Now, all the things I've said are absolutely great. When you think about just the BBC as an example, how many billions do they spend every year? And we're talking about 33 million a year to try and redress the challenge that has been existing in terms of, and I don't know that anyone has been fired as a commissioning person from you know, deciding what kind of costume dramas are going to come to the BBC and who's going to be sitting there reading the news and is there going to be a person doing a business program? So, and so what will that person look like and what will they be talking about and who will be the experts they call upon? I think all of those things are examples of white supremacy institutionalized systemic racism, misogyny and sexism that stands in the way of getting the world that we need to have done, done. But it's not my job to necessarily continue to point this out. My job is to undo it by doing the work that I'm doing. And I can call on other people to do the same thing. Let's do some work. Let's not talk about this anymore. Let's do the work. You've got resources, you've got time, you've got talent. Put it to work to undo the uh, systemic issues and white supremacy. Yeah, 100%. And I think what's been so visible in the past year is just these statements from these large corporations about what they're going to do. And mm -hmm. so being able to finally put them, like, give them accountability and say, look, you mm -hmm. said you can do this, 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 and let's track those changes and actually make some change. And I think, yeah, what you're saying is so important, especially now and especially during this past year. So The Money Maker is a Channel 4 show in which you help independent British businesses get back their finances after months of economic suffering as a result of the pandemic. So how have you transferred your years of experience to The Money Maker? The great thing about being a venture capitalist, Amanda, is that you have got the opportunity to see a whole lot of businesses. ImpactX, although we've only been in business for three years, a little less than three years, and we've only been investing for a little less than two years, we have been able to see thousands. Let me, let me make sure I say that again. Thousands of companies around Europe that are interested in getting funding. And that gives us the opportunity to analyze hundreds of companies on an annual basis. That ability to do that and hear the sort of plans that they have is exactly what we do as investors in order to assist other entrepreneurs in our portfolio. So what I do is, you know, I've, I've heard various people come to me talking about their various approaches to business. And what I do is I do the same thing I do with Impact X. I look at them, I try and analyze them for valuation, I decide how much capital is, what, what a sort of a transformative plan would look like, how much capital it would take to get there, how much of the organization I would have to take on if indeed this is the valuation, this is how much money I put in, it's just an equation. And if the, money, if the amount of money is too high to put through the transformation, I've got to think about what else to do in order to try and get to a point where I increase the value. Because ultimately, you want the entrepreneur to have enough incentive to stay on and get enough upside to be very passionate about the idea that I'm bringing in, that they're going to get so much more from it than something that they thought about themselves. And so that's part of what happens here. For me, the most interesting thing, Amanda, is these are, you've seen four episodes now. Anyone who's watched can see that there are four episodes. And if you haven't seen it, watch it on all four um, as catch up. 
these organizations are generally relatively local. They've been started by all UK, you know, citizens. They are people who have worked either as little as three years on this project all the way up to 10 years on this project, their business. And they've had different levels of success. Some turn over a million plus a year, some turn over 300,000 or so a year. So there's a big, big range. The question is, what is the plan that's going to get them to be a real investable company. And since this is really my money going to, this is not fake. This is my actual money that I had to spend time earning. I want that money to come back in a way which looks almost like my venture capital, meaning that I want to make about 10 times what I put in in a relatively short period of time. So I have to put with them plans that they might not have thought of previously. If you saw the episode last night with Trimit, Trimit, which is run by Darren Tangerang and his group, that organization had an idea for, uh, they have eight vans right now, and they thought that by the end of the year, they have 25 vans. That's not enough to make me the kinds of return I need to actually make on my personal portfolio. So we have to talk about a different plan that's going to really supersize and supercharge the great things that they're doing, but it has to go faster and it has to be bigger. So that's exactly what I bring to these organizations. But there are not a lot of people who are doing that necessarily for underrepresented and companies that are outside of London and those that are outside of digital technology. Because we know of organizations like Uber, because we know of organizations like Facebook and Google and Tesla, we believe that those are the sorts of images that we should have, the search images as to what can make money. And everything else is a lifestyle firm. My hope is that what I'm doing is actually putting money into organizations that go from being a lifestyle firm to being an investable firm. And I've invested in them, so I've invested in a plan that makes sense for me. But it's just a continuation of the same thing that we do with um, Impact X. It is finding in companies, listening to plans, helping them to refine their plans, putting in the capital, and then uh, applying the resources that I have in order to make the new plan one which is executable, and we can get to the next milestone, and the next milestone, and the next milestone. One big difference is I don't believe that these organizations need to raise more capital. The amount that I put in and then the revenues that they bring in should be able to propel them forward. And I think what's also really helpful is just kind of seeing the different tactics that other companies who watch the show can really take from it. So, for example, Alex with the Sussex Kitchen and the kind of social media strategy that was mm -hmm. in dire need of uh, being uplifted and pushed. And I think things like that is just really important for small businesses. So with the show, what has been the most rewarding part, if you can pinpoint one exact moment? So I think it's been the matchmaking that I've done. And when I say matchmaking, to be able to matchmake Alex with Rob Pierre, he's a black Trinidadian British. He runs the most exciting marketing organization in terms of social media and digital strategy in the UK. No one knew that, right? And I'm, no, I'm sure most of us on this phone call have never heard of him. That's a man who has been in the who has been in the business and is one of the only companies in Europe to actually have a certain type of relationship with Google. That's the kind of excellence that we see throughout the black community. And that's what we bring into these sort of situations. So many people think when I'm looking for an expert, I need to find a white person, whether it be my doctor, whether it be my lawyer, whether it be my business invest my personal wealth manager. Those are the people who can actually, or my people who are educating my kids, that those are the people who make, can make a difference as opposed to the way I think about it, that the best and brightest, the people who are sort of most tuned into what the world needs and to the next important trend that needs to be monetized, 
commercialized and commercialized are black people, particularly women. And that's a different worldview. And so bringing that worldview in and matching, doing that sort of, as I said, that dating and matchmaking between organizations like the Sussex Kitchen and Rob um, Pierre and Jellyfish, even though I decide not to invest in the end, that was a good thing. And for people to be able to see that in the audience, that's the kind of intervention that Rob made and Jellyfish made hugely expensive and most small organizations could never afford it. Most, many large organizations couldn't afford it, but they put that into that experience. Then the next episode, which was episode three, which was Winnie's Kitchen, the introduction of Booth's, which is, a, you know, a sort of a high-end grocery store up north, and then also to Morrison's and to get the products into that, into getting the products into those stores. The products are already in Booth's, but the products are not yet going to be in Morrison's until the summer. But that is those sorts of connections to be made. And then last night's episode, which is to, to connect Trimit, which is sort of the Uber of haircuts, to the actual Uber and the top people in Europe to make sure that they have that relationship. And it's not just a, you know, uh, a sort of a television relationship to make sure that there's an actual substantive relationship which exists, which can transform that business, trim it. That's what is the most rewarding part. And that is the biggest aha. Part of it has to do just with my connections. Part of it has to do with this being television. Also, television is a great media for getting people to do things that they might not otherwise do, at least at a pace that they might not otherwise take. And so I have been very pleasantly surprised and pleased and rewarded by the combination of my network and the exigencies of television and the allure of television. That's amazing. And I think one of the the best parts of the black community is kind of the support and uplifting and connecting each other. And I think with the British blacklist as well as an example of it. So um, yeah, it's so nice to hear that. And I remember I did a little Instagram scroll on the Sussex Kitchen and it looks really cool it looks amazing really engaging i want to quickly just plug the book that you're releasing um we don't need permission unlocking black empowerment for good so let me tell you there is a person named cheryl sandberg who is the chief operating officer of um who's the chief operating officer of Facebook. And she wrote a book called Lean In, which is, a, which is a treatise for women as to how you become more engaged and empowered in the workplace. And for me, that was a very seminal book and a very seminal audience address strategy. And partially what we're doing with We Don't Need Permission is to try and create a very clear thesis for Black people, not just in Britain, but around the world, that we have been waiting much too long to say, do you approve? Is this something which is okay with you? Is this something that you believe is some, you can also get behind? We've been spending so much time on allyship that we are wasting time in terms of moving forward an actual agenda. And quite frankly, we don't need permission. We are here, we are citizens, we are enfranchised, we are business people, we are doctors, nurses, we are everything. And that indeed, if we have an idea that we'd like to implement, we can do that. It would be great to have allies, but if allies don't come along quickly enough, we are not going to leave behind our needs and sort of sub sub subjugate them to others' needs in order to get our needs met. And we will do that with our own resources. It is actually the embodiment of what we do at ImpactX. We will utilize our own resources. And once people see 
the progress and the good things that are coming, we will find other people. We'll find the right kind of allies who will be interested in our agenda as opposed to the wrong sort of allies who want us to alter our agenda to fit with theirs, uh, to marry with theirs a little bit more closely. And that indeed, this is done through business and that my opinion is, as I mentioned earlier, that business is the thing which provides the capital, going all the way back to my first comment about Lenny Henry, we can't continue going hat in hand to other people saying, please do for us or support what we believe. We should do that, but that's not the only strategy. And I'm talking with we don't, with we don't permit, need permission to follow the example of you know, Bill Gates. Did he ask permission to start uh, Microsoft? And has Microsoft become such a behemoth that it is thought about in every country and that not only is legislation dealt with and all sorts of things which are associated with how we actually think about employment, employment rights and activism, there are all sorts of things which happen around the world. And that happened again within a generation. That's a 40 year old company or so. And that's happened within many of our lifetimes that that company has gone from not existing and, and something as a nice thought in someone's mind to actually being something which is pushing governments to keep, to keep up. And that's what will happen when we invest in the right sort of companies. And we've done some of this already. There's a great company called Marshmallow here in the UK, which is an, insur an insurance tech company started by twins, Alexander and Oliver. So Marshmallow, the gooey thing that you eat that's sweet. And that is an insure tech company that when we got in, it was worth um, 30 million pre-money valuation, which means that that's what investors would value it at before they put their own money on top of that. It's nine months later, not nine years later, nine months later, they had a 300 million pre-money valuation. That's explosive growth. You can imagine the difference in a business like that. Then if you're starting a restaurant that goes from you know one restaurant to two restaurants and goes from a million of turnover to 2 million, that's in nine months, we have grown 10x. That's the kind of explosive growth. And those are the kinds of companies that places like Microsoft and others are. Brilliant. And I think that's a great synthesis of what we've, all, what we've been talking about, and especially with the book, which is coming out next year, April 2022. Um, it's crazy how it's 2022 already. So before we wrap up, we're, I'm going to do a few quick fire questions just so mm -hmm. everyone listening can get to know you a little bit more. So the first one, what's a book that you have to have in your collection? A book that you have to have in your collection is um, one that's coming out in June by Ursula Burns. It's called Where You Are Is Not Who You Are. She grew up in a housing project in New York City. Her mother was an immigrant from Panama. Her native language was not English, but Spanish. And she and Ursula has written about, and Ursula, of course, is the first black woman to run a Fortune 500 company. She's on the board of Uber, Nestle, ExxonMobil, MIT, and the Ford Foundation. She has something to say as a black woman to us all. And what's a song slash album that defines the soundtrack of your life to date? The soundtrack of my life is always influenced by Nile Rodgers, and it will be anything from the Chic Collection. But I Want Your Love is the song. Um, and I don't know why. It's something that you can cry to or dance to. But it is not necessarily the sound, but it is the soundtrack of my life. What's really uh, the song of my life, though, is my father's favorite song, The Impossible Dream, about pushing yourself to the limit for things which are not possible for other people and still not necessarily reaching it and getting up the next day and doing the same thing again. Toil, toil, toil. That's the, that's the song that I live by. Amazing. And what was the first company you worked with and what did it mean to you? My mother's company. My mother had a travel company that helped to expose young inner city 
welcome non-inner city children, especially through our church, to the wonders of the world. She would take bus trips to take people from Greensboro, North Carolina, a small southern town, to New York and see what New York was like. Took them across country for a month to see everything that this country had to offer and then brought them back. And it was all about exposure. That's the first company. And it meant to me that I could see not only was there profit, but purpose. I don't think my mother ever made a profit. I think it was all purpose. Let's just put it that way. And the last one, what's made you sad, mad and glad this week? What has made me sad, mad and glad is that we had a person in the world named um, George Floyd who had to die for, and we had to watch that death happen in order for us to say that there is a new world that has to happen, not next, not in the next hour, not in the next week, not in the next month, not in the next year, and not in the next decade or century, but right now. So it's made me both happy, sad, and absolutely mad. Yes, and I think that's a really important note to leave off. Thank you so much for this wonderful interview. And it was an honor to speak to you and to kind of hear your story and the amazing, amazing work that you're doing. And I'll be in touch in a few years uh, when I start my production company. We, we believe that we actually do have some interesting projects. So come see us. We have 13 projects that are directed. Yeah, to All right. Take care, Amanda. It was a pleasure.